The following podcast is produced or sponsored by a community member. The content, views, and opinions expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect those of the Belmont Media Center or the Town of Belmont. BMC welcomes your comments. Call us at 617-484-2443 or email us at access at belmontmedia.org. Welcome to the Hopeless Fancast, the podcast that loves fans as much as fans love pop culture. I'm your host, Eileen Maxson. Before you listen to our show, be pre-warned. There will be spoilers. For today's episode, we're talking with Stephen, who's an attorney and author in New York City, about the TV show Breaking Bad. How are you doing, Stephen? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being on our show. What do you love about Breaking Bad? You know, it's such an excellent show and it's really transformational TV because the main character himself transforms throughout the series. And when you see Walter White, he's one way at the beginning and very different at the end. And if you think about other television shows, not going to find many like that. It, it actually may be the first where a character has changed from beginning to end. And of course, now you have Better Call Saul, the spinoff, and it's kind of a, a similar kind of a way of converse of, of that. But mm-hmm. that's I think that's what's so dynamic about it that's probably what I love the most cool do you have a favorite character like Walter White of course is like bigger than life and the main focus but is there a character in addition to Walter that you really like yeah so I'd have to say Saul Goodman so it's funny the history of my interest in Breaking Bad I didn't watch it when it first aired mm. I had on DVDs it was my wife who said um, you're gonna love this character Saul Goodman it's her favorite character and you know he's obviously this corrupt lawyer and he just brings this humor to the show also and he's, he's definitely my favorite. And I wrote a book, which we'll talk about, uh, called Why You Better Call Saul. Yep, yep. It goes into his story. So he's definitely, definitely my favorite. Awesome. As a lawyer yourself, what do you think about the way that Saul Goodman is portrayed? It's fascinating, right? It's fascinating to, to see someone in, in Breaking Bad one way, um, totally corrupt, soulless. He's morally bankrupt. And certainly I've, I've, I've encountered people who, lawyers who do unethical things, but, you know, he's certainly at a, at a level that's that's pretty extreme. At the same time, you know, as you find out more about him, his backstory, Better Call Saul, obviously, is going to tackle this. You find out he wasn't always that way, that he was a reasonable, trying-to-be-responsible lawyer. And part of that is, is so fascinating to see how you go from, you know, one state to another. And you compare that, of course, to Walt, right? Um, and you can definitely I, make those comparisons in the book, how you can track them throughout and, and how they're the same but also different as you compare those two characters so fascinating you see what Saul Goodman does right in terms of the law because he is a good lawyer he does well for his clients he he violates all sorts of ethical rules but (laughs) and and that's part of the fun I mean for me personally going through and and figuring out what he's doing right or wrong is is, was interesting Hmm. there are a lot of people who speculate that while Walter White does change from the beginning of the show to the end a lot of what he becomes is kind of already there in who he is at the very beginning. Uh, yep. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think I, you know, I write about that in the book too. And I think that's one of the ways he might be different than Saul and, and people can have different views on this. And I think that's what makes both shows so complex and, and so great that you can have these debates. 
you know, I come down on the side of he he probably had this evil inside of him and, and it was unleashed because of circumstances. So but look, the, the other argument is is also possible, right, that mm-hmm. as he just dug himself a hole and, and he just sort of fell into this and he became obsessed with building a drug empire that perhaps he wasn't always this way. So I see both sides. I come down on the side of this was something deep inside of him lurking and came out because of uh, certain events. Yeah. It's interesting because we see flashbacks of Walter when he's younger, when he is uh, in the prime of his life and is still involved with the company that he winds up selling out in order to become a, or not really in order to become a teacher. He's kind of run out of his company. And there's, there's that kind of desire to have control Mm-hmm. That's like already there. It really does feel like kind of the tools that he winds up using to become Heisenberg are mm-hmm. things that are already there from the beginning. Yeah, and I think, right, I agree. I mean, I think what you said about control is, is absolutely right. Remember when he found out about cancer and, and he was talking to another patient, he talked about control and, and fear and managing emotions. And if you notice, I mean, he, he a lot of this his sort of journey started because he wanted control over his life. And right, right. he did make a lot of decisions independently. If he had full control, perhaps he would have just died sort of peacefully, right? I mean, he was fighting with Skylar and his family about retaining that. And I think that was absolutely very important to him. They didn't really have full control. So his middle ground in a way, right, not accepting the money from his friends and, and not going on his own and sort of letting the cancer run its course was building this empire and in a way it was it was kind of a middle ground approach but sure. an extreme way to to just sort of cook extreme way to do that but. yeah <laughs> it's true he, he definitely goes just completely off the deep end as far as the uh, you know extremities of what he he's willing to go to by yeah. by the end so family is a huge factor in the show and loyalty to family is huge how do you feel about walt's family yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I think that Skylar received a lot of criticism from fans, even threats to her, the real actress who portrays her, which is Anna Gunn, which is kind of frightening and, and ridiculous. How right. people. But um, no, I think I think it's important because, you know, Walt was very oblivious to how his family viewed him. Um, I think he, he didn't understand at times how... I think how he was endangering them, why they wouldn't see it his way. I mean, he certainly wanted to hide everything he was doing. But once they found out, he just assumed that as long as he says he can protect them, that they'll sort of go along with him. They're not going to expose him. So I think he had a fundamental misunderstanding of his family. And really through the end, when he was you know, making arrangements for Walt Jr. to one day get his money and tried to call him, I, I don't think he ever... I don't know if it was um, him not understanding the gravity of what he was doing or how that affected his family, but I don't think he ever fully appreciated how it affected the rest of them. That was my take on it. Yeah, yeah. That whole thing at the end is interesting that he calls his son and his son completely rejects him. Mm -hmm. What he then does is he goes back to his friends who are, you know, not really his friends, and he sets this up so that he gets the money without knowing that it was coming from him. Right. Which was really interesting because it kind of suggested to me, at least, that 
it really was that their well-being and their getting this money that he supposedly made for them, and we'll probably, you know, talk about that too, that that was more important to him than trying to get his son's goodwill, basically. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think he had a, like I said, I think he had a, a fundamental misunderstanding of, of the situation, right? I mean, from his perspective, he, he wanted, you know, the money to be put to good use, or his whole adventure was kind of for, for nothing. Right. Uh, but yeah, no, I think, I, I just I just don't think he realized how, he, Walt was very transactional. He, he wasn't someone who took into account how his actions affected others. I mean, to some extent, he had to have an understanding of that. But he, he certainly didn't realize that, you know, in, in a call with his son, for example, that his son would never, of course, talk to him ever again. Or, you know, the way that he sort of he completely destroyed everything. I, I don't think he ever really appreciated that. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. The The moment that kind of comes to me in that is when he has gotten away from, yeah, well, he didn't get away from Hank. People came and killed Hank. And mm -hmm. he runs and he goes to his house and he starts packing up everybody's stuff. Yeah. And he expects them yep. to run with him. Right. And of course, they don't because, you know, his son has just learned about him and Skylar is terrified of him. And he sees it only when Skylar tries to cut him with the knife and actually does cut him. And then he wrestles her to the ground and his son comes and like stands between them to protect his mom. I think that's really the moment when he realizes that they are so far from being on the same page about all of this. They're just not going to be part of or party to this thing that he's done. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I think that was, it was exactly right. That was, that was one of the moments I was thinking of. Um, yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. But of course, his son and Skylar and his daughter aren't his only family. He also has Hank and Marie. Yeah. So Hank is a fascinating person. And it's interesting because, you know, the first time I watched Breaking Bad, it was very much, okay, well, Walt is terrible, but we're, we're totally rooting for him. And we're hoping that Hank fails in kind of uncovering who he is. But then the second time around, I wound up really, really liking Hank and getting to the point where I'm like, come on, you know, you can do this. You can you can figure this out and you can take him down. So yeah. uh, how do you feel about Hank? Well, yeah, I think the first thing was interesting what you said, um, that you're rooting for Walt. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of people find that, you know, one of the tricks that the writers employed was getting you to feel a connection and sympathy for Walt because of the cancer early on. And you find yourself rooting for him, which is kind of an amazing thing to say, right? And a lot of millions of people say this. He's killing people. He's doing all sorts of terrible things. Yeah. And it's that initial first impression, that first emotional connection that you have with him, where you put yourself in his shoes and say, look, I may have not started to do any of these things, but it's at least understandable. It's not justifiable, but it's understandable. Right. So right. that's how he kind of hooked everybody in. In terms of Hank, yeah, no, I think he's he's an excellent character, very likable. You know, Walt is, despite what I just said about him you know, <laughs> forming some attachment to him, he's not a likable character. You may be attached, you sympathize, but he is just a fundamentally per person who it's very difficult to actually like, mm -hmm. you know, especially as he um, he just grows colder and colder as as you watch the, the show. And, and actually, not to go off on tangents, it's something that, you know, you see with Saul Goodman. 
he, he's someone who provides comic relief, but also someone who's difficult to really like because he seems to not have a soul. Mm. And of course, he's so much more likable in um, in Better Call Saul as you see his origin story. So, you know, I, I think the character development in um, both shows is is really incredible and you know it's something that i've spoken to vince gilligan about and the writers it's something they're obviously very focused on you know in terms of just building out these characters showing how they change i mentioned before how unique that is and you know it's part of what makes both shows great yeah it's really interesting because you know he does terrible stuff and yet you do still have this basic understanding of him and it's like they get you on board early on and then it's almost like the frog in like you know the pot of water where you just turn up the heat little by little and the frog stays in there even when the uh when the water is boiling yeah it's 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 kind of like that it's a kind of an emotional version of that exactly so skylar Skylar's really interesting. She starts off as, well, I was reading a, a, uh, an interview with Vince Gilligan at one point, and they were talking about how they got to a point where Skylar was so against Walt's purposes that, and you said that there were fans that really didn't like her and that that was part of it. And so that's when they decided to basically bring her into the fold and make her part of Walt's plans. We see Skylar as being someone who is also in her own way and even without what Walt winds up doing, morally gray because, you know, she works for this guy who is committing tax fraud Mm -hmm. and basically does what she can in order to make that to make it fly uh, for him to get away with it. In addition to having an, an affair with him, she's definitely not kind of a spotless character. So when she's brought in to Walt's enterprise, she's definitely not innocent. She very willingly takes on the mantle of buying this car wash and running it in order to launder their money. Mm -hmm. So uh, how do you feel about Skylar and the way she's presented throughout the series? Yeah, I mean, I think everything you said is right. It To me, they're not on the same level in terms of, okay, you know, Skylar's done these few sort of relatively minor things wrong, and she's trying to, you know, you can argue, save her family, put, keep her, you know, keep certain things together, and, and then compare that to Walt. So I think that the, the show, I, I don't think that they're they're looking to, to, to make her this, you know, this character who's completely morally bankrupt, right? I don't, right, I don't, right. Yeah, I don't think that at all. I think that her transgressions are, are obviously pretty minor. She's not in, like extremely likable, I think, because, again, she's the person standing in Walt's way and at, at times. And, and that's something that was off-putting to a lot of fans, which is ironic. But, you know you know you try to put yourself in her shoes and i think that's that's difficult it's difficult to imagine being in her shoes would a, a woman in her position have an affair with someone if their husband was like this i don't know right i don't think that that you necessarily would would they the, the tax fraud like these sorts of things were these ways of her just i don't know venting and just dealing with the stress in her life i don't know possibly like it, it, what's interesting is Especially about Skylar, I think it's difficult to put yourself in her shoes, and it's very difficult to figure out what you would do. Would you go to the cops immediately? Would you play along? Would you help Walt in some ways? And I think these are very difficult questions. She was clearly an intelligent person, and she gave thought to to mostly what everything she did. And you know, I think that made it pretty realistic because we don't know how it would turn out. And if you pull a hundred people. Maybe three people would take her 
route and to her, you know, her course of actions. Maybe another thirty would do something else. And I think it's it's interesting. It's her character certainly not predictable, mm-hmm. but um, she also was pretty deliberate in her choices. So she was an interesting character. Yeah, yeah. One of the moments that I really liked, Walt has left the house and brought Holly with him, and he calls the house calls her and he knows that the cops are there because of course they are because he's kidnapped their daughter and he lays into her about how this is what happens when you cross me don't cross me again or else worse things are going to happen and you're never going to see hank again something that actually was just completely out of character for him to speak that way to her they make it explicit later what he was doing but you know kind of implicit at the time that what he was trying to do was to basically give her an out he had been found out everything was coming down he wanted to give her a way to basically protect herself to say well the reason i did these things and you know the reason i was laundering money and you know bought the car wash and stuff like that was because he forced me to because he's this evil guy right. and he forced me to do all these things which i found really really interesting that he was still trying so hard to protect her and in a way that seems to have worked what I find really interesting about that is that kind of this continued theme of that even when the chips are down, he's still going to try to protect his family. Does he do it, you know, in a correct sort of way? No, definitely not. But that still remains his primary objective. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think, and it's interesting, right? I think you can have different takes on it. From his perspective, he still may be uh, selfish, right? In in terms of protecting his family, he may think, oh, well, you know, it's I, I didn't want to do all these things and, and have no positive benefit and ruin my family or any of that because that's a, a stain on my legacy as Heisenberg, right? So right, right. I don't know whether he has true deep care for his family or not. It's possible. I think it's it's something that's debatable. But to me, any any negative consequences that stem from his actions could be viewed from his perspective as a stain on him, something that he was flawed in, and he may want to just avoid that as well. So I, I may give him less credit in, in <laughs> some regard. Um, it's debatable. Sure, sure. So in addition to his relationship with his family, of course, you know, the relationship he has with Jesse is central to the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you feel about, about Jesse and about that uh, relationship between them? Yeah, I think that the, the writers work very hard to portray Jesse as someone who is much more human than Walt. You know, his relationship, you see how he interacts with, with children. He He's very much like a punk type of kid who doesn't know any better and makes poor decisions and he's sort of like he's just he's just living a life that probably a lot of people live and i think walt sort of brought him into this world of of being much worse and the stakes being higher but he was just kind of messing around doing things he shouldn't do and and he got caught up in all this so their relationship is is really interesting i think there's a comedic element to it in terms of the way they talk to each other mm-hmm. i think he jesse had had initially respect for walt as this teacher called him of course mr white and i i think as time went on he kind of realized there was one moment where he said you know telling someone there's something wrong with Mr. White, right? There's something wrong with him. He's not just a normal person who's doing bad things. He's just this terrible, bad person, and he has no remorse. He seems like he has no real soul, and Jesse absolutely has a soul, Mm -hmm. and 
you know, Walt, by contrast, is is just a bad person. And I think that, you know, even if their actions are somewhat similar, I think Walt's are worse in a lot of ways, Jesse feels deep remorse and Walt does not. And I don't think Walt is really capable of feeling that type of remorse. Um, you see how it kind of destroys Jesse when he starts throwing money around and giving it away. Right. And, and Walt is just not capable of understanding Jesse's actions. So the dynamic between them, I mean, it's excellent. It's, you know, a very unlikely pair of, of people. And, you know, even though some of their actions are similar, their mindsets, I think, are completely different. Yeah, definitely. It's really, it's striking how much loyalty they both have to each other. I mean, there were a lot of times going both ways that it probably would have been better if Walt had dropped Jesse or it probably would have been better if Jesse had dropped Walt. And up until season five, for the most part, they don't. You know, they, they stick by each other, sometimes to the detriment of everything, really. So you, you have that loyalty between them. How do you think that that dynamic works with Walt being the person that he is? Yeah, I think a lot of it, I think, is self-preservation. Some of it, I mean, and I think it's another debatable point. I mean, did Walt develop an emotional attachment to Jesse in some regard? You know, I think that would be a fair perspective until he turns on him, right? Until mm. he engages the neo-Nazis to go against Jesse. So I think that's sort of where it turns and, and maybe you start to realize that all right, Walt wasn't actually so deeply loyal to Jesse. He was doing it out of self-preservation and not an emotional connection. And Jesse as well. I mean, I think that, you know, he had, it took Jesse a long time to lose respect for, for Walt. And, and again, just as we have a certain impression of Walt when we meet him, um, I think he pulled Jesse along for that ride also. You know, he was his teacher. He was, you know, someone who is a, a smart person, someone of authority. And it was those years of, of respecting him, almost revering him. And it's very hard to reverse that. Just like the audience, it's very hard for us to reverse our initial impression of, of him as well. So I think the audience and Jesse, in some respects, are kind of in the same boat. Interesting. Yeah, that's a really interesting way of putting it, that Jesse, in a lot of ways, is kind of our in to the, yeah. the world of, uh, of Walter White. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cool. So one of the big figures in the show is Gus Spring, who is fantastic. Like, he's, he's one of my favorite characters because he's so careful about the way that he does things and so smart about the way that he does things while at the same time having this himself this deep loyalty towards the people that he works with when they go to mexico and they take down the cartel and he's had to consume the same poison that was used to kill the uh, the don and his capos 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 anyway and then, of course, he is he is sick, but they rush to uh, a medical tent that they've set up basically because this is going to happen. And the relationship that he had with those doctors who he employs in order to keep him and his associates alive was was striking because they were obviously very friendly and very loyal to one another. How do you feel about how Gus Fring ran his business? 
Yeah, I mean, it, he ran it in a very careful, methodical, deliberate way. Mm-hmm. Um, he was loyal when loyalty made sense. And, you know, I think probably disloyal when, when it, it suited him. So I think he's he's someone who, as you said, very careful about every action he took. And I think, you know, Better Call Saul helps to explain a little bit of how he, he got to, to, to be that way. But mm-hmm. you, you can certainly have further exploration of how a character not only goes into this business, but just sort of acts the way he does, right? Is this the typical type of kingpin who's, who's so careful about every action he takes? Or, you know, or is the normal kingpin someone who sees opportunities and takes more risks than Gus? Because he... he you know, he was very cautious, conservative in a lot of ways, not comfortable with, with Walt or Jesse. And, you know, I think that that was obviously ultimately his, his downfall. His He sort of deviated from that caution, allowing Walt and Jesse into his world, and that created problems for him. And I think the lesson there, <laughs> if you're a drug, a kingpin is, you know, stick with that sort of methodical approach, right? And, and right, I, don't right. think trying, I don't think it's trying to give messages or help or advice to, you know, kingpins. <laughs> I, I think that that is something you can take from this, that people in positions like that need to be careful and not to let all these variables and unpredictable things or events, people into their lives. So he's a very interesting character. Yeah, and I think that because at first he... When he first evaluated Walt and Jesse, his view of them is that, okay, well, Walt is someone who is, he knows what he's doing and he's stable and Jesse is an addict and I just don't deal with addicts. And then those two roles really flipped when he was actually dealing with them because Jesse wound up being the one that was reliable and that he wound up really kind of getting close to, whereas Walt was the one who was the rabid dog. He's the one who will bite you if it suits him, whereas Jesse, you know, not quite so much. That's an excellent point. Yeah, I think that's excellent, yeah. So would you consider Gus Fring to be a bad guy? Yeah, I think um, I think he certainly I think he certainly is. I mean, his aims are you know not, nothing nothing good at all. I mean, he's clearly just out to to build this empire. I I think that um, I'd be hard pressed to find something good about him in sure. terms of his in terms of his style though and his approach to life. I, I think you can argue that that's maybe it's an admirable way to be to be cautious, methodical, sort of deep thought about things that you do and 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 if you if you take that type of approach to life perhaps you can be successful but no I I don't think there's anything about him that is good or genuine or anything like that gotcha so what Walt and Jesse Jesse kind of reluctantly winds up doing is killing Gus uh, and probably the most spectacular like TV death ever I remember the first time we saw it the way that the show does it is so brilliant in that it only gives you like little tiny bits of information as you're going along and you don't quite know the extent of the plan. And you're sitting there with Gus and, you know, Hector Salamanca starts dinging his bell right. and you don't realize what's going to happen pretty much until Gus realizes what's going to happen. Uh, right. And, you know, the, the bell has tripped this bomb. It explodes. And then you go immediately to the shot outside the door in the hospital or the um, the nursing home. The door is blown off the hinges. And then yep. Gus walks out. 
And I remember the first time we saw it, we're like, oh, my God, this guy is like, this guy is Teflon. How the heck did he survive that? And then the camera pans so that you go from a profile view to a, a full-on view. And it reveals, it does a slow reveal that he has basically like half of him has been burned away. And again, it's kind of the same way that Gus himself comes to the realization because he reaches up and he like straightens his tie and then he falls down. Yeah. That, it's it was so yeah. brilliant. That, yeah. Was a, yeah, that was an incredible scene. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. But looking at it and looking at it like what happens later, I wind up asking whether or not it was actually a good idea, like from the standpoint of even just practicality, for Walt to have killed Gus. Uh, do you have mm -hmm. any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think he, Walt was not ready to be the kingpin. And I think even even the way you saw his reaction to the death and, you know, he was excited about it and, and all that. And, and part of the death he needed to do that for his own self-preservation but i think the show conveyed this idea the sense that walt is not up to this he's not going to be capable of running this empire he's not methodical like gus he, he's not as prepared or careful and he's not at someone he's not at the level of gus so i, I think that um it was obviously not a ultimately not a good decision for him um although you know you can argue i mean kind of May, may have needed to depending on you know in his view at the time anyway to persevere but yeah no i think he just wasn't he needed years of training and whatever life experiences gus had to get him to be the way that he is i think walt needed some of that as well yeah yeah and it's interesting because you see that a lot in walt throughout the series that he has kind of these ideas of well you know that that must be how this is done and then other people basically have to tell him, no, you have no idea what you're talking about. Um, yeah. So, you know, you see it with, with Jesse, like at the very beginning where he's trying to get it into Walt's head that, no, that's not how this drug thing works. He thinks, oh, well, you know, you just walk into, yeah. you know, Tuco's place, show him who's boss. And he's like, well, no, that's not how this works. Right. Um, so he's always convinced that he knows better than the people who have been doing this for a long time. On one hand, you can kind of understand because he doesn't have a lot of time. He has to just barrel forward because he doesn't have the time to kind of learn and marinate in how you're supposed to do things. But on the other hand, there's a, a startling amount of just arrogance about that. Oh, yeah, I think arrogance is definitely one of his fundamental traits. I mean, I think he, he thinks he is better, smarter, I mean, than anybody he encounters. It's, I mean, that's absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah, and it's really interesting when you have that in the relationship with Jesse, too. Not only is he arrogant towards Jesse and about what Jesse can or can't do, but uh -huh. he's also, he spends a lot of time trying to make Jesse feel incompetent. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. I mean, I think part of it is that he's in a lot of very tense situations and he's sort of the older, supposedly wiser person. And, and Jesse is kind of just this kid who's along for the ride. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it. And he wants to keep Jesse in order. I think there's a lot to that dynamic. But, you know, overall, I mean, he's also built up by everybody because everybody always talks about how great his meth is. And, right. you know, his arrogance is fed by that. So it's just so many factors. And I think 
it's it's what you know catapults him to to keep being this way to keep treating people this way to keep constantly berating jesse and others and it's just a cycle of you know moving up and treat and treating kicking everybody else down i think that's a big part of what he does yeah yeah so I mentioned the uh, the scene where Gus dies uh, rather dramatically. There there are a number of scenes in the show that are just done so well that you're absolutely floored when they happen. Do you have any favorites? Yeah, I mean, I think when um, when Walt let Jane die, that was mm-hmm. that was clearly a a very intense emotional um, moment. And I, just reading uh, Brian Cranston's book, he actually wrote about that and how it affected him and how he he pictured his own daughter in that scene and the people around him, the actors, you know, Anagon and the other actors around needed to actually physically hold him because he was shaking after that. So I think. You know, it it affected the actors, some of those scenes, and I, I guess I would pick that as one of the most dramatic ones. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It, it's really amazing because Brian Cranston is astoundingly good in this role. And it is amazing how playing a role like this can affect who you are as a person and how you feel. One of the interesting things, too, is that so many of the the actors are comedians by training. You know, like Saul, for instance, of course, uh, Bob Odenkirk. Comedy is is what he does primarily. And uh, Mm -hmm. Brian Cranston has done a lot of comedic roles as well. Do you think that that is something that helps them to also do these these roles that require a lot of more disturbing aspects? Yeah, I think I've I've heard interviews with some of them. I think that is something that they've they've said. I mean, I think that comedy gives them this baseline to then explore drama and uh, frankly i don't understand that i'm not an actor but mm-hmm. it, it's it's certainly um interesting that a number of them you know even from um the person who plays a veterinarian he's a stand-up comic so, so many bill bill burrs another one plays uh kubi right in breaking bad as does uh huel i think there's there's something to that and i think some of these actors actually bring some comedy you know bob odenkirk certainly brings some comedy to to breaking bad and, and better call saul and i'm assuming just as an actor just there must be something to that must be something that the casting director looks for Hmm. yeah yeah so there's a lot of symbolism in this show for instance season two throughout the season a lot of the episodes start with this shot of a pink teddy bear that is burned and half destroyed and missing an eye that's floating in the pool you start a lot of the episodes of season two that way and you don't really find out what is up with that specifically until the end when you find out that it's from this plane crash that Walter White had a, a hand in causing like indirectly mm-hmm. since he allowed Jane to die and Jane's father was an air traffic controller. What do you think is the significance of that pink teddy bear? Yeah, probably like a loss of innocence, I think, is probably the, you know, probably the the metaphor there, the symbol. I I think, you know, whenever you're dealing with a teddy bear or something like that, I I actually, my my next book is about the TV show Black Mirror. Hmm. And one of the episodes is um, shot all in black and white. And throughout the episode, uh, not to give away spoilers, there's, there's somebody searching for something and... I guess I will give away the spoiler. (laughs) Go for it. (laughs) It's a teddy bear. So it's basically an apocalyptic episode, the end of the earth. And someone is looking for a a teddy bear to bring to a child. And 
the symbols, of course, or that innocence is lost. And, you know, there's there's value to finding something like that, something that is something of a, of a time gone by. So it kind of reminded me of, of that as well. But, yeah, I think just that that's kind of a symbol of um, innocence. There's a really interesting callback to that later on. I think it's either season four or season five when Skylar has kind of had a breakdown and is very depressed. And it's when the children go to live with Marie and Hank. And right at the beginning of kind of that period of time, Hank and Marie and Walt and Skylar are having one of their dinners out on the patio uh, that we see them do. And Skylar gets up and goes over to the pool and then walks into the pool and kind of allows herself to be submerged. And the way that they shot that, it was exactly like the teddy bear. Like, you know, you see Skylar floating in the water in the exact same way that you see the teddy bear floating in the water. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. That's very interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love the way that they do those callbacks, you know, yeah. because you're watching it. And it's it's almost like, you know, this little this little secret that they are sharing with you. Like, you know, when every once in a while there'll be a ding that calls back, you know, Hector Salamanca. Right. And, uh, you know, it's a little, you know, oh, my gosh, I totally remember that. And of course, you get a lot of that in uh, Better Call Saul, too. You get all these little Easter eggs of, so that people who are familiar with Breaking Bad, um, they're like, oh, look, it's so-and-so. Absolutely. Yeah, I think they're very famous for the Easter eggs and just being so detail-oriented. Um mm-hmm. It, it's just, yeah, I think it's it's something that is a highlight of the show. And, you know, it rewards deep viewing. I mean, when I was writing my book, I was rewatching both shows, obviously, and, mm-hmm. you know, finding connections and, and different types of things that kind of fun to uncover. And uh, that's part of the fun going through that process. Yeah, it's something that, you know, I've, I've just started another rewatch of Better Call Saul, uh, because we'll be doing an episode on it after this one. And there's the scene in the second episode where Saul is being taken out to the desert by Tuco, which is its own little, you know, oh, my God, there's Tuco. And he doesn't have his grill yet. How does he get his grill? And uh, he's there with, like, his two henchmen, you know, the two people who he winds up shooting one in, you know, season one of uh, Breaking Bad. And then the other guy winds up getting his arm crushed in the junkyard trying to recover the other guy's body. So it's very much kind of a, oh, my God, it's those guys sort of thing. So uh, it's so great. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, So one of the other symbols that it it has its own episode, basically, and then it's kind of called back in a couple of instances is the fly. What do you think about the fly and what that symbolizes? Yeah, I mean, I think that episode, um, you know, it, it sort of showed you know, a desire to achieve perfection, but also just the obsessive nature of, of Walt. And I think you can argue some kind of madness as well, right? And, right. and you know, I think he created this world where, you know, a world of disarray, right? Where all sorts of kind of scary things are happening, but he wanted to retain full control over a situation that he thought he should have control over, right? And I think it goes back to that point before about his desire to maintain control and all of that. And, and his idea was that his, this is his space and he should be able to be in charge of it fully and there should be no invasion. And, right. you know, I think it's, it's you know, there are a lot of ways to look at that 
episode, I think, you know, it's a view you can argue into his madness. Mm -hmm. I think it's certainly not a logical type of rational way that he approached the situation of a fly getting in the room. Um, but he tried to make logical ar arguments out of it. He tried to argue about contamination. He tried to, to make those arguments. And I, I don't think they were compelling. And I think it just gave insight in, into really who he is. When he gets an idea in his head, there's no convincing him otherwise. He wants to maintain control and authority. And he wants things his way. And if he can't get that on the outside world, he at least wants to maintain it inside that room where he was given control over. So I think it's symbolic, really, of just his entire life and, and his loss of ability to act freely in some ways. And this place where he goes is kind of like a refuge to do that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. When I was thinking about it, I was thinking that part of that, and it would be part of the loss of control too, is the whole issues with his mortality and also with his with his life really, because both of those things are things that he tries to control and then finds out that he really can't. You know, he can't control the fact that he has cancer and that it goes away or that it comes back. And he also can't control the fact that he survived his cancer. There's that one great scene where uh, you know, he's been told that he's in remission and mm -hmm. everything looks really good. And he had been so convinced that this is it. I'm going to die and everything's going to be over. And I need to, you know, use the last of our chemicals in order to like finish this thing. And then it'll be over and I'll die and that'll be it. And then he finds out that he's going to live and he goes into the bathroom, washes his face, and then he punches the paper towel dispenser denting it we we actually we see it later too and then also like bloodying his own knuckles you would expect that people would be happy to yeah. find out that yeah this is really good and you're going to get more life out of it but again it's about control that he thought that he had everything together and it was all going to you know finish perfectly and yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. gosh darn it the cancer went away so yeah i think that's an excellent point i think another to add on that, I think he may realize that he has to live with this regret of, of what he's done. And that's a question whether he actually feels regret or not. But he justified in his mind all of those actions because he's trying to, you know, leave his family a fortune and all that. And when that doesn't seem like it's necessary anymore, what was the point of all of it? So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a combination of the control. You're absolutely right. It's something that he... he can't control cancer and you know just also now that he has to live how did how do you move forward after you've done all these things but he also doesn't change his course of action so nope. that would be a <laughs> say that he doesn't really regret what he's done so yeah so how do you feel about the way the series ended yeah i think it was excellent i think you know it, it probably made the most sense to have him die like that i, I think that the music at the end was was perfect yeah. um <laughs> You know, Jesse getting away and hopefully um, recovering from all of this made sense. So I, th I think it was a very good conclusion. It, it wouldn't have really been probably fair if he got to live, I, I guess, um, or got away with it. So I think I think it was a, a fair conclusion. Awesome. Yeah, that whole episode was just fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's so, so often when TV shows end, it has this feeling of, well, you know, that's it. And I'm really unsatisfied and whatnot. This was 
perfect. Like it just, it hit all the notes and, you know, tied up all the threads and all the storylines. It was just, yeah, it was awesome. It was so well done. So I usually end with a question about what people will think will happen next in shows, either if they're still going on or or, uh, if it ended and they, what they think might happen next if the show were to go on. But of course, the ending is so perfect in this show. There is, however, as we've talked about, Better Call Saul, which is so amazing in its own right. And you've written a book about it. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit more about your book? Sure. Yeah. So the book is called Why You Better Call Saul. And I'm I'm an attorney, so I wrote it from the perspective of an attorney in terms of going over the legal issues and figuring out what Saul is doing right and wrong and the people in his life. His brother is a lawyer and his lover is a lawyer as well. And, you know, there's certainly a lot to think about there in terms of client interactions and how they deal with documents and how they talk to each other and judges and all of that. So that's actually a very interesting part of the show. But there's so much more to Better Call Saul, so much more to the book. It's yeah. really it's really about the relationship between Jimmy McGill, who becomes Saul, and his brother, Chuck. Chuck is this distinguished partner at a law firm, and, and Jimmy is a struggling lawyer, often trying to do the right thing. And I think he has some demons that he sort of fights off because of his instincts to kind of scheme and do things like that. So the interaction between them, to see two very different types of lawyers, two very different types of people, is is fascinating and what I do in the book I kind of track Jimmy's journey and his relationship with Chuck and I compare that to other relationships we see in pop culture whether it's characters from the Simpsons and fans would know you know make a comparison between Homer Simpson and Frank Grimes who is an employee who you know works very hard for everything he has and sees Homer getting off easy in life and I think you can compare that to how Chuck sees Jimmy that Chuck has this you know intense jealousy of Jimmy because Jimmy's, in his view, handed things in life, and Chuck has actually earned what he has. So that dynamic is a huge fundamental part of the show. So I tackle that in the book. I talk about his relationship with Kim. And really, it's just about character development. So what I do in the book, I, I talk about Breaking Bad and, you know, the transformation of Walt, the transformation of, of Saul, and make those comparisons. I talk about how Saul Goodman is really two different Shakespearean tragedies as he transforms into different characters and we know of his ultimate downfall you know you can track the the moments where he's he's made these decisions that have affected not only his life but of others as well and you know I think making those comparisons to Walt in terms of wanting control over your life freedom independence and seeing where that leads I, I think you can make a lot of comparisons between both shows watching how again both characters change from beginning to end that's unique to both and you know I've just been very fortunate I've you know received praise from the book from Vince Gilligan which was really incredible he sent me a letter in the mail about the book which was very nice and, oh yeah awesome yeah and I've met uh, Bob Odenkirk a few times I was at the season three premiere which was a lot of fun cool. so I lunch with Patrick Fabian he's a, a good friend of mine now who plays uh, Howard Hamlin and you know it, it's been a lot of fun meeting meeting people like Jonathan Banks and their writers and it, it's been a fun experience so you know it's um, it's a book that goes into the ethical issues and also just Saul's journey talks a lot about other pop culture music and it's just full of a lot of different things. Wonderful. And uh, available on Amazon? Available on Amazon. And also, I mean, my website is stephenkesselitz.com. But uh, available on Amazon. I've also, I have books about 
Simpsons 24. It's all on Amazon. And uh, new one coming out pretty soon about technology and Black Mirror Twilight Zone. So Awesome. Very cool. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you. This was great. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Hopeless Fancast. You can follow us on Twitter at Hopeless Fancast, on our Facebook page, The Hopeless Fancast, and find all of our episodes on hopelessfancast.com. If you enjoy our show, please consider becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash thehopelessfancast to find out more. Thank you, and we'll see you soon.